It's going to take a double portion of the spirit that was even on Elisha, because it's a little warm to me in here, and you've eaten, and you've just been serenaded in a sense. <laughs> so um, I always say that, listen, if you fall asleep while I'm speaking, I, it just proved to me that you have absolute confidence that everything I say is okay. So you have to do what you have to do. Let's turn to 2 Kings again in chapter 3. And to add to that, we're going to have a rather lengthy section of God's Word, which I don't make any apology for. But I would like to look at a, a sort of a big chunk of the Word in this sense, uh, both at chapter 3 and chapter 4 at some of the miracles that take place as Elisha begins to move forward and to witness in the continued ministry of the ascended man in the glory. So let me read perhaps selectively from chapter 3 to start with. Chapter 3 and verse 1. Now Jehoram the son of Ahab began to reign over Israel and Samaria the 18th year of Jehoshaphat king of Judah and reigned 12 years. And he wrought evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and like his mother, for he put away the image of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he cleaved unto the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which made Israel to sin. He departed not therefrom. And Mesha, king of Moab, was a sheep master, and rendered unto the king of Israel a hundred thousand lambs and a hundred thousand rams with the wool. But it came to pass when Ahab was dead that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. And King Jehoram went out of Samaria the same time and numbered all Israel. And he went and sent to Jehoshaphat the king of Judah, saying, The king of Moab hath rebelled against me. Wilt thou go with me against Moab to battle? And he said, I will go up. I am as thou art, my people as thy people, and my horses as thy horses. And he said, Which way shall we go up? And he answered, The way through the wilderness of Edom. So the king of Israel went, and the king of Judah, and the king of Edom, and they fetched a compass of seven days' journey, and there was no water for the host and for the cattle that followed them. And the king of Israel said, Alas, that the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. Then look, if you would, into chapter 4, verse 1. Now there cried a certain woman of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead, and thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. And the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be bondmen. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in the house? And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house, save a pot of oil. Then he said, Go borrow thee vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels, borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shalt pour out into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full." So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured out. And it came to pass when the vessels were full 
that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, There is not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go sell the oil and pay thy debt, and live thou and thy, and thy children of the rest. And it fell on a day that Elisha passed to Shunem, where was a great woman, and she constrained him to eat bread. So it was that as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. And she said unto her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is an holy man of God which passeth by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on, a wall, on the wall, and let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick, and it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn in thither. Verse 12, he said to Gehazi, his servant, call the Shunammite, and when he had called her, she stood before him, and he said unto him, say now unto her, behold, what hast thou been careful for us with all this care? What is to be done for thee? Wouldest thou be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the host? She answered, I dwell among mine own people. And he said, What then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, Verily, she hath no child, and her husband is old. And he, and he said, Call her. And when he called her, she stood in the door. And he said, About this season, according to the time of life, thou shalt embrace a son. She said, Nay, my lord, thou man of God, do not lie unto thine handmaid. And the woman conceived, and bare a son at that season that Elisha had said unto her according to the time of life. And when the child was grown, it fell on a day that he went out to his father to the reapers. And he said unto his father, My head, my head. And he said to a lad, Carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door upon him and went out. And then look, if you would, into verse 38 of chapter 4. Elisha came again to Gilgal, and there was a dearth in the land. The sons of the prophets were sitting before him, and he said unto his servant, Set on the great pot and seethe pottage for the sons of the prophets. And one went out into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered there of wild gourds his lap full and came and shred them into the pot of pottage for they knew them not. So they poured out for the men to eat and it came to pass as they were eating of the pottage that they cried out and said, O thou man of God, there is death in the pot. And they could not eat thereof. But he said, Then bring meal. And he cast it into the pot, and he said, Pour out for the people that they may eat. And there was no harm in the pot. A series of stories found in chapter 3 and 4. A series of stories that have many different features about them. But also, as I think we look at them a little bit more in detail in these accounts that follow, they have certain similarities about them as well. And so, let's look together at these and, and see how it is that Elisha was able to point these people to certain resources. One thing that all of these stories have in common is that there are either disasters that happen or near di disasters that are averted. 
and sometimes at the very moment when the disaster seemed to take place or seemed to be so imminent, that disaster was averted. You'll get that in the first story that I read. And by the way, I want to qualify because in today's world, we have to be careful that when I say story, I mean a historical account that's given to us, not a story like a fable or a fairy tale. These are real, actual, historical accounts that are recorded for us. And so when I say story, that's what I mean. But in the first account that's given to us, there was a near disaster. Kings going forth to war who find themselves in the middle of a desert with no water for the men and no water for the animals. In the last story that we read, the last account, I'm not sure which Saturday night group this was, whether it was the wiser or the other. But it was a, a school of prophets, wasn't it? Who decided to make a stew of some sort. Only to find out as they served it up, there was death in the pot. Thankfully, they caught it before they partook. A near disaster. And then, when we think of the two stories that are in the middle, the two accounts that are in the middle of the section, the first one, the widow woman who had two sons, or had her sons, and uh, the two sons that were going to be taken to be bondmen. Life had become, in a sense to them, was about to become a slavery. They were going to be taken bondmen. It was too much. She was in debt. The creditor had come to take her sons to be bondmen overcome with the debt that she had incurred, proven to be too much for her. And then the rather lengthy story about the Shunammite woman, whose desire ultimately was that she have a child. And yet that child went out to work, and the work was too much. Whether he had a heat stroke or whatever he had, it proved to be too much. And read the pathos in those verses when they had taken him up, carried that child to his mother, and the child sat on his mother's knees until noon and then died. And she took that child, laid him up upon the bed of the man of God, and shut the door. One woman with a husband that was dead. Sons to be sold into slavery. One woman with a boy who died. Kings wandering in the wilderness with no water. And a theological college that was nearly poisoned to death. Death in the pot. So let's begin to think about these stories now and as they stand individually and think first about this account that's given to us in chapter 3 of the three kings who not from Orient were. 
and they formed a sort of a coalition. Moab had been a, a, a useful uh, kingdom, if you will, until the time when Ahab died and Moab rebelled. He'd been providing them with certain numbers of lambs and rams and wool and quite profitable until he rebelled. And so Jehoram, the king of Samaria, went out, sent to Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, said, the king of Moab hath rebelled against me. Will you go up with me? And he said in verse 7, I will go up. And then listen to this king of Judah's statement to the apostate king of Israel. I'm the same as you are. I am as you are. Really. You're the same as the one who wrought evil in the sight of the Lord and caused Israel to sin? My people are as your people. My horses as your horses. Jehoshaphat was an interesting fellow, wasn't he? Sometimes you see him making decisions that you have to, you put a big question mark there, don't you? And think, man, what are you thinking and if there's some similarity in your mind of some of the events that happened this time with Jehoshaphat, it's because of what had happened previously with him in another like situation. And so he goes up. The king of Israel, the king of Judah, the king of Edom. And they asked a good question in verse 8. Which way shall we go up? Well, that's a good question. Which way should we go? They started out right. The way through the wilderness of Edom. Now that area, if you know it geographically, is a, is a wilderness area. It's a desert area. One problem. I love the way the King James puts some of these expressions in a quaint sort of a way. King of Israel went, the King of Judah went, the King of Edom went, and they fetched a compass of seven days. Which is a very polite way of saying they walked around in circles. But being men, I guarantee you they were not lost. <laughs> and so they walked in circles for seven days until they faced a near disaster because they ran out of water. For all the troops that were with them, and all the animals that were with them. I tell you, how important are logistics when it comes to military campaigns. Now war is a terrible thing, and the results of war are terrible. And I say this with that statement made, that it's often the soldiers who fight on the front lines that get the glory, if you will. And certainly they deserve our thanks and appreciation and so on. And yet, what if there aren't those who are providing meals for them? What if there are not those who are providing water for them? What if there are those not those who are providing fuel for the machines? And on and on it goes. The support that's necessary to mobilize troops. At a minimum, you could say this was poor planning. Three kings getting stuck out in the middle of a desert and running out of water for the troops and all the animals. Now listen, and this is interesting. Remember that one of the things that God was doing during this time was that this nation was a nation that was under judgment. 
That judgment had been announced. But God waited in His long-suffering, and in His long-suffering raised up prophets because He wanted the people to hear the Word of God. Paul will analyze in, in Romans chapter 10, why does God send the preacher? Because He wants people to hear. And so He sends the preacher so they can hear the Word. And hearing the Word, they might believe. Else God wouldn't send them if He didn't want them to hear. So He raised up His prophets. And listen to what the king of Israel says. Alas, that the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. And you'll note the specific title that's used in, in the King James. It'll be indicated by all uppercase letters, L-O-R-D, as we often say, Jehovah. He wasn't just saying some supreme being has called these kings together uh, to deliver them into the hand of Moab. No, no, no. Jehovah has caused this to happen. He knew something of the truth, didn't he? Like Ahab before him. And like the situation that we find Jehoshaphat in, in a previous kingdom and reign. And so, Jehoshaphat says, but is there not here a prophet of the Lord, of Jehovah, that we may inquire of the Lord by him? And one of the king of Israel's servants answered and said, Here's Elisha, the son of Shaphat, which poured water on the hands of Elijah. And Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. At which point I want to scratch my head and say, But if you knew that, Jehoshaphat, why didn't you ask him first before you got hooked up with these other folks? Why didn't you ask him first before you got out in the middle of the desert wandering around in circles with inadequate supply? But anyway... Is there not here a prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of the Lord by? I mean, one of king of Israel's servants said, Yes, Elisha the son of Shaphat. And Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. And Elisha said unto the king of Israel, What have I to do with thee? <laughs> Get thee to the prophets of thy father, the prophets of thy mother. How's that working out for you? <laughs> rubs his face in it a little bit. Sort of like his predecessor, Elijah, there on Carmel. Wait a minute, guys. Cry a little louder. Maybe your God's asleep. Maybe He's gone on vacation. Maybe He's indisposed at the moment. <laughs> Can't come to the phone right now. <laughs> Rubbing their face in the foolishness the lunacy of their idolatry and false system of belief. Hey, King of Israel, you're all into those gods. Baal. Go call him and ask for help. How's that working out for you? Sometimes you have to just use a little wisdom and tact. But it's not all bad sometimes to have a little irony in there as well. When people have false systems of belief. And they get to the point where they're looking for help. And listen again to the king of Israel. No! Jehovah has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. So you recognize it again. That the one that you won't follow. And the God that you won't bow to and own exclusively 
as Lord, that this is from him? Interesting how the power of that witness had already penetrated at least somewhat into the king's mind. And then listen to Elisha. As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, which are the exact words that Elijah first uses when he appears on the scene with Ahab. It's that expression that's found in Deuteronomy chapter 18 of the priest in the holy place ministering. I stand in the presence of the living God. And surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I wouldn't even look at you. I wouldn't even see you. I don't recognize you. I stand before the Lord. And at least Jehoshaphat is of that part of the kingdom of the south that hadn't completely apostatized. Bring me a minstrel. And it came to pass when the minstrel played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. <laughs> you got to use your imagination a little bit. At least you're, de- you know, you're sanctified, you know, imagination. Imagine the scene. Three kings wandering around in circles in the desert, no water. And here's Elisha. <laughs> I imagine him in my mind, reclining. Bring me a minstrel. <laughs> Play for me. That's a good one. Play that again. I like that. <laughs> the kings are there, you see. <laughs> and uh, by the way, you kings, while I'm here enjoying this music, go dig some ditches. <laughs> what? Go dig some ditches. Wait a minute. We don't have any water. <laughs> How can you tell us to go out into the desert when we don't have any water and dig ditches? It's so counterintuitive, isn't it? It's so against logic. Wait a minute. Shh, shh. That's a nice one. <laughs> At least that's how my mind envisions the scene. And by the way, you're not going to see any wind. You're not going to see any rain. But the valley is going to be filled with water. And you'll be able to drink, both you and your cattle and your, and your beast. And by the way, don't dig little ditches. Dig canals. Really big ditches. <laughs> now, it's one thing, you know, if you, if you peek out the window and you see the sky darkening and the lightning beginning to flash, and you think, well, it's going to rain. We should go out and dig some ditches so we can catch the water. No, no, no. You're not going to see that. So at this point, the kings had two options as I see it. <laughs> they could go back out and wander around in the, in the wilderness. Or they could listen to the word of the Lord from the prophet. And they went out. And they dug their ditches. And listen to verse 20. It came to pass in the morning when the meat offering was offered. And there again, like on Mount Carmel, Time of the evening sacrifice. There came water by the way of Edom, and the country was filled with water. You see, they were pointed to a supernatural resource that could deliver them from that near disaster if they would simply listen and obey what the Word of God said. Transpose that into the key of today's world in which we live. And you meet people 
And their lives sometimes are a disaster. Or if not a disaster, they're about to be a disaster. Can you point them to a supernatural resource that can deliver them from that disaster if they'll listen to the Word of God and if they'll follow what He says? And when they say, yes, but, but what if, but I... How's that working out for you? <laughs> and the Moabites heard that the kings came up to fight. They gathered everybody that was able to put on armor and came and they rose up in the morning. They saw the water in verse 22 on the other side as red as blood and they thought the kings are slain. They've smitten one another. Let's go to the spoil. When they came to the camp of Israel. The Israelites rose up and smote the Moabites so that they fled before them. And they smote them into their own country, beat down their cities, stopped up their wells. In verse 26, when the king of Moab saw that the battle was too sore for him, he took with him 700 men that drew swords to break through even unto the king of Edom. But he could not. The troops were demoralized. Whether he did it as an act of sheer pagan folly and idolatry, whether he saw it as a way to boost the morale of the troops, if you will. The king did something next that's almost beyond belief when you read it. He took his eldest son that should have reigned in his stead, and he offered him for a burnt offering upon the wall in plain view. And the indignation was so great against Israel, they departed from him and returned to their own land. Micah says this in Micah 6, 7. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And the answer, of course, you know is no. But I think of another story. I think of another king who took his son, his firstborn, if you will, and he offered him up producing not indignation among people, but stirring our hearts to love and devotion for the God who loved us enough to give His Son. And so deliverance from a near disaster. You come to the next account, and here's a woman who's in debt. She's so far in debt, that the creditors are coming to take her two sons to sell them off into bondage. And Elisha the prophet says, what's in your house? Well, all I have is a little pot of oil. Tell you what you do. Go to all your neighbors and borrow. <laughs> now, I'm not sure that the best advice to tell somebody who's deep, deep, over their head in debt is to go borrow. I mean, the only ones that I know that have a regularity of doing that are the government. <laughs> so I'm, I'm so far in debt. Wait a minute, Elisha. I want to get this straight. I'm going to go to my neighbors and borrow because they all know how far in debt I am as well. 
You think they're going to loan me? Go borrow. Empty vessels. And not a few. Make it a whole bunch. Well, once again, the woman was left with a choice, wasn't she? <laughs> she could let the creditors come and take her sons. Or she could believe what the prophet said and the Lord through the prophet that there was a way out of her disastrous situation. She would listen to the Word of the Lord through the prophet. And she went and borrowed. And the oil filled every vessel that she had. She was pointed to a supernatural supply of oil that would relieve her debt and alleviate her situation and deliver her from that bondage that was certain to happen when she listened to the Word of the Lord through the prophet. And then, as we come to the next account with the Shunammite woman, The desire of this woman to have a child and finally having that child and enjoying him for those years. And when that child died, the father said, carry him to his mother. And there he sat on her knees till noon and died. She went and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door on him and went out. What now? When death had occurred. Death that wasn't preventable at that point. She tells her husband, what a woman, you've got to love these women, don't you? That we find in the scripture. You go tell the young men, you get me one of the asses that I may run to the man of God and come again. Why will you go today? It's neither new moon or the Sabbath. It's all right. Just do it. Drive and go forward. Don't slack your riding for me except I bid you. And they went and came unto the man of God to Mount Carmel. And as Gehazi the servant saw it in verse 25, he says, Yonder is that Shunammite. Run now, I pray thee, to meet her and say unto her, Is it well with thee? Is it well with thy husband? Is it well with the child? When she came to the man of God to the hill, she caught him by the feet. Gehazi came near to thrust her away, and the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul's vexed within her. And the Lord has hidden it from me and didn't tell me. She said, Did I not desire a son of my Lord? Did I not say, Do not deceive me? Gehazi, gird up your loins, take my staff in your hand, and go thy way. If you meet any man, don't salute him. If any salute thee, answer him not. Lay my staff upon the face of the child. And the mother of the child said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And he arose and followed her. And Gehazi passed on before them, laid the staff upon the face of the child, but there was no voice, nor hearing. Wherefore he went again to meet him and said, Behold, the child is not awaked. And when Elisha was come into the house, behold, the child was dead. Laid upon his bed, he went in therefore and shut the door upon the two of them and prayed unto the Lord. And he went up and lay upon the child and put his mouth upon his mouth, his eyes upon his eyes, his hands upon his hands. 
And he stretched himself upon the child, and the flesh of the child waxed warm. Then he returned and walked in the house to and fro, and went up, stretched himself upon him, and the child sneezed seven times. And the child opened his eyes and called Gehazi and said, Call the Shunammite. So he called her, and when she was come, he said, Take up your son. Amazing, wasn't it? What a picture. Here's Gehazi, and he'll come into play a little bit later again. <laughs> Taking the staff of Elisha, putting it upon the face of the child, but that dead stick, if I may say, in the hand of a dead servant, had no effect on the child whatsoever. And Elisha comes in, stretches himself out upon that dead body, hand to hand, face to face, eye to eye, until the body of that child begins to grow warm. It's almost as if the warmth from the body of Elisha is transferred in a sense to that dead, cold, lifeless body that now begins to pulsate with a little bit of warmth. And Elisha gets up to walk to and fro in the room and comes back and does it again. Lo and behold, that life so identified with that dead body that that dead body is made to live. And a supernatural miracle occurs. And that woman gets her child back. Wasn't it something? Wasn't the dead stick that did it? But when that body identified with that dead body, what a picture it is, isn't it? When you think of all the New Testament has to say about our identification with the Lord Jesus. The transference of life to us. The very principle of life placed within us. Bringing our dead bodies to life by the very resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Himself. And then finally, Elisha comes to Gilgal with the school of prophets that were there. And they went out to make this stew, or pottage, as it says. They gathered the herbs, find this wild vine, filled their lap, top, full, and came and shred them into the pot. That was just to see if you were awake. <laughs> They poured it out for the men to eat. And as they were eating, they cried out, Oh, man of God, there's death in the pot. They couldn't eat it. Then he does a curious thing. I don't know about you, but at that point, I'm saying, dump it out. Let's start over. <laughs> no. I'm going to put something in it, and then you're going to eat it. Huh? I mean, if you've got something, there's death in the pot. Dump it. Start over. But that's not what the man of God did. He said, bring meal. And he put it into the pot. Said, pour out for the people. wonder who took the first bite. <laughs> oh, it reminds me of when I was in the jungle in South America years ago, upriver, in a little village there of Amerindians. 
and they had a monkey named Jack, and they had cut this tree down, coconut tree, huge tree, just to get the monkey that was up in the tree, who became a pet. And so I ate a few things that were interesting, to say the least. But I asked the men, I said, how do you know what to eat? That's easy, they said. We give it to the monkey? <laughs> if the monkey lives, we eat it. <laughs> if the monkey dies, we get another monkey. <laughs> and we don't eat that, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm thinking, if you got something that's poison, who's going to take the first bite? But they served it up. There was no harm in the pot. Almost killed off the whole school of prophets there. Wouldn't be first time that there had been things poisoned among a school of theological students, if you will, <laughs> that could produce death. Death in the pot. And some of it distributed from that fountainhead has poisoned many a folk spiritually, but that's a little bit of an extrapolation. Nevertheless, it is interesting to think that they didn't pour it out and start over. Found something that could be placed in that pot to deliver them from that near-death experience and a near-disaster and provide life. And there came a man from Baal Shalisha brought the man of God bread of first fruits. Twenty loaves of barley, full ears of corn in the husk. And he said, give the people that they may eat. And his servitor said, what should I set this before a hundred men? He said, give the people that they may eat, for thus saith the Lord, they shall eat. And they even have leftovers. And he set it before them, and they did eat, and left thereof according to the word of the Lord. Oh, know how we need today, don't we, in the world in which we live, to be able to point men and women and young people and others to the supernatural resources that are available that can deliver them from bondage, deliver them from near disaster, deliver them from even death itself, deliver them from that which could harm them if they partake of it. If they'll listen to God's Word and do what God's Word says. Father, thank You for Your Word. Bless it to our hearts. And thank You for the supernatural resource that we have in our Lord Jesus, in the Word of God, and the Spirit of God who's able to take these things and do with them what we cannot. Help us to be able to point others to those resources that are available today. If they'll but believe God, believe His Word, we give you thanks in the Lord Jesus' name. Amen.